This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, we could talk about Maxi's double ton for hours, and we tried to. Chicago's tournament court causes temporary blindness. AFL's Round Zero is so named because it has close to zero appeal. And zero appeal is something Shaquib Al-Hassan should consider. It's 9.22 on Thursday, the 2nd of November, 2023. It's been about a week and a half since we last recorded. We've had some very prominent female athletes retire over the last week or so, with both Meg Lanning and Erin Phillips hanging up the boots. Or is it the bat in Lanning's case? The boots and the bat? I see John Millman's caught a quits after the Aussie summer too. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I, I can't imagine Meg Lanning's going to be using her cricket boots for really too much more than cricket, so... Yeah. Uh, Logan Paul apparently nearly saved Rey Mysterio Jr.'s life or negligently nearly caused his death, depending on who you talk to. And while we're referring to wrestling, but we'll get to that last one for sure, obviously, very soon too. These are just some of the things we'll cover today. And for others, that's as far as we'll go. As always, please check our timestamps. I'm joined by my partner in crime, Stewie, this time over Zoom as we've done our best to navigate the pressures of life and still record. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Not too bad. The wife's over in Bali at the moment, so I'm flying solo with both the kids, which, uh, yeah, certainly makes it a lot trickier to do these sorts of recordings and definitely makes it impossible to be in the same room. I will just quickly go back on one of the things you said. I very much believe that Logan Paul saved Rey Mysterio's life. He undershot some form of a flip. I can't remember what it was exactly, he would have landed head first and Paul caught him and then basically turned it into a power slam, which was uh, which was pretty awesome, I have to say. Yeah. Well, the thing is, though, some of the commenters said that he was standing too far back and if he'd been more experienced wrestler, he would have been standing in the right place. So that's why some people think that it was actually Paul's fault. But all's well that ends well but, when he did catch him. But, Nathan, Rey Mysterio should know better than to take the, the flip without him being in the right spot. So it kind of goes both ways. Mysterio is a lot more experienced than Paul is in the ring. So I think if you look at it, he saved him by catching him. And, look, you can make a case either way, but this is not a wrestling show. Anyway, how are you, mate? You all good? Oh, it's, it's just funny because I referred to a WWE tweet where they said uh, it was something along the lines of, uh, oh, that didn't go according to plan. And I'm like, well, no, actually, like, the entire thing is planned. And then sure enough, this happened, which didn't go according to plan. So that was yeah. almost my karma for making that comment to that WWE tweet. Yeah, I'm really well, mate. Jeez, I was wired after that maxi knock, as I mentioned, and we will talk about that. I had Devin Townsend last night and I couldn't quite work out if I was still wired from the maxi knock or the uh, excitement for the upcoming Devin gig, maybe both. I still feel a bit wired after it all. But uh, yeah, he always puts on a good show. So yeah, I'm, I'm very good. Can't complain. Excellent. Now, you've got something interesting for the opening, let's call it the opening tip this week. You mentioned something that I hadn't actually heard about. Yeah, so I think this is one of these things that has only been doing a little bit of the rounds, not super prominent in any of the social media platforms, but it goes to the AFL and this uh, this whole round zero thing. So they're looking at having another round before round one, four games across New South Wales and Queensland. I believe they would still count for premiership points. And the whole idea of it is to, I guess, give a couple of these really big name games to different states outside of Victoria. I mean, obviously, round one, well, I will put this to you. What's the first game you think of when you think of round one? Oh, well, it's Carlton Richmond, exactly. which is the traditional curtain raiser. So, okay, I had heard about the idea of potentially a Sydney Derby. I didn't realise it would be prior to round one, though. So, yeah, that's a bit odd. Okay, interesting. Well, it's, it's not necessarily going to be that. So what they've kind of looked at was GWS and Collingwood, Brisbane and Carlton. So oh, I guess replaying okay. those, yeah, replay the prelims. There's talk of the Brody Grundy Cup, so Sydney versus Melbourne, uh, which I thought was quite funny. Hmm. Uh, the Damien Hardwick Cup, so Gold Coast and Richmond. So there's a few different options they're looking at. But I think if you look at, I guess, what they're trying to do, the slate of games is fantastic. I love games with a storyline. Whether you're talking finals, replays, games between teams that have that link, I think that stuff is great to watch. I love when they have those, you know, the, the derby rounds. I love all of that sort of stuff. But why the fuck do you need to put some stupid name on it like round zero? Just call it round one and move everyone backwards a bit. Yeah, it's yeah, it's that typical thing of sports leagues trying to be across as much of the calendar as possible, isn't it? It is. Okay, well, we'll watch that space. Given you brought up the footy, Shui, I might jump in here and talk about AFLW. So we went to Frio and Sydney at Frio Oval on Sunday, which was 
a lovely day for footy. The uh, Dockers had a loss, unfortunately, again. It's very weird. So they played the Sydney theme prior to the game and after they won. And obviously I'm a Sydney fan in the blokes, but I'm a Freo fan in the women's because the Sydney women's team hadn't come in yet and I don't have any geographical ties to Sydney. It was very hard not to sing along with the song, but they played the blokes song. So they've changed the While Our Loyal Sons Are Marching to While Our Loyal Swans Are Marching, but they played the Suns version at the uh, SONS, of course. So not great for an AFLW game. But anyway, Aaron Phillips, three-time Premiership player, three-time All-Australian, two-time AFLW Best and Fairest, and two-time AFLWPA MVP is also hanging them up, as I mentioned. So hats off to her. Last week, you talked about that bloke that had that crazy bet. Did you hear about that homeless bloke in New Zealand who won over 100 grand New Zealand off a $5 bet on the Melbourne Cup? I didn't know. I haven't actually read anything that's got the words Melbourne and Cup in it. I'm very firmly against the Melbourne Cup. So, yeah, anytime I see something, I just ignore it. So, yeah, what what happened? Oh, well, he basically, yeah, he put a $5 bet down and he won 106 grand New Zealand dollars, which is about 97, 98 grand Australian. So, yeah, decent bet there after your story from last week. Same thing. It was really funny. At work, we all we looked at the clock and we're like, oh, shit. Oh, the race would have happened. Oh, well, there you go. Because we don't give a shit either. But it's funny. We had a yeah. one of our, our title one year was the race that stops most of the nation because it doesn't stop mm. us. But uh, yeah. A couple of other things quickly before I throw back to you. In the NFL, Keenan Allen reached 10,000 receiving yards for the Chargers. He has 858 receptions, 56 touchdowns. All time with the Chargers, where he was drafted 13th overall to then San Diego. He's a five-time pro bowler. And yet one of those guys that always seems to be disrespected in fantasy drafts, always seems to slip. I've had him a couple of seasons and he's done really well for me. Not this season, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, that would have been good. And then on Manning cast, the goat had a donkey on. Do you know what the hell I'm talking about oh, there? So the Mannings had Tom Brady on? No. The, <laughs> no, the goat of action films. They had Arnold Schwarzenegger on and his donkey just walked into frame and he was hand-feeding it while on screen. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I believe you have some levity to finish this segment as well, Stuart. I do, I do. And it's going to be a... Look, I think this is a, a fairly easy question, I believe, for you. Nath, do you know what the nickname is for the University of Maryland? Uh, the Terrapins, the Terps. The, the Terps, Exactly. Now, I saw a screenshot of the, you know how it's quite common, I guess, at football games for people to either go shirtless and paint the letters of the teams on their chest? Oh, yes. Yep. So these five guys have basically gone across and they've put in the letters for Terps on there. Unfortunately, they've stood in the wrong order and spelled out strep. Uh, Very good. So for anyone who's not sure what strep is, it's a throat infection caused by a type of bacteria called group A strep. So it's not a particularly nice thing to have. Oh, no, it's not pleasant. No, these uh, these boys have really, I mean, they could have done any other possible combination of letters and it wouldn't have formed anything rude or silly, but they just happened to spell out strep. Oh, dear. Gotta love it. You, you wonder if they did it on purpose, actually. That's <laughs> oh, possible. <laughs> So, Nath, a lot of cricket to get through tonight. There's obviously a lot going on in the World Cup. We have to start off with what I think is one of the funniest things that I've seen in the world of cricket in a long time, though. And it is the, uh, should we call it the Sachin Tendulkar statue? Or you've just seen it for the first time. What would uh, you call it? Well, it's uh, it doesn't look like Sachin Tendulkar, does it? It looks like another very good batsman or better. It does look like one Stephen Smith, doesn't it? It does, it does a lot. <laughs> Oh, man. What was it's, it's going on? It's not even close. It's not even close. Like The similarities between that and Steve Smith are incredible. So I guess if anyone wants to know what Steve Smith would look like batting for India, that's probably the closest you'll get. Well, I guess they could always just use the same template to make Smith's statue when he gets one. Yeah, they could just steal it and change the helmet, basically. It's reminiscent of some of those really bad wax figures you see. Like I remember I've just looked up worst Madam Two Swords. So there's an absolutely terrible Nicki Minaj one here. Uh, you've mentioned Ariana Grande has a bad one. Oh, there's plenty of bad ones, aren't there? There's tons, yeah. 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 Oh, wow. That Ariana Grande one is bad, isn't it? It isn't, isn't <laughs> it just? <laughs> it's one of those ones where if you didn't have the picture of her next to it, you'd actually probably look at it and wonder who it was. Yeah, no kidding. The Sachin statue enters that uh, pantheon, I guess, doesn't it? Absolutely, it does. Now, do we go in order? I think we've got to deal with the big news, which was the big show, don't we? We do, absolutely. It is pretty much all everyone's talking about right now, so I guess we may as well just be sheep and join the herd. 
Well, I mean, it, it's possibly the greatest knock of all time in, in one day, as if not beyond. So it started pretty well for Afghanistan. Ibrahim Zadran's 129 not out of 143 was not only the first Afghani ton in World Cups, but it was also the highest score against Aussies in World Cups since 1999, according to Nick Savage. And geez, it was looking pretty good when they were bowling too, wasn't it? I think Maxi came in at what, four for 49 after Inglis? At one stage, we were seven for 91. My God, you're glad you stayed up to watch this one, aren't you, Stewie? And thank God we're in WA where the time difference allows us. It's not too late. Whereas in the East, it would have been, what, 4.30 in the morning or something when it finished? Yeah, I mean, obviously we started steadying the ship ever so slightly, probably before it would have hit midnight, which did help a little bit. But yeah, as you say, I mean, he comes in at 7 for 91. It's one of those instances where you just look at it and you think, how in God's name is there a way that we find our, our way out of this? I mean, we're just so far behind the eight ball. It's ridiculous. And you could just kind of see after Matt, you know, he got that really, we'll call it a, a really bad chance. Like he gave a, a really simple catch to to one of the Afghan players, just sort of flicking one off his pads, gets put down. And you just think, okay, there's your chance maybe that's all he needs to kind of get going. And look, we know how explosive he can be. We saw that 100 off about 40 balls that he had earlier in the tournament against the Netherlands. So we know that he can do it, but gee whiz, like that. Can I jump in there? It was was even worse. There was an LBW appeal first ball. He was dropped by Hazmat on 26. He was given out LB on 27, which luckily was overturned by DRS. And then he was dropped by Majib on 33. So he actually had several chances and not to mention a couple of inside edges. And it was just one of those games, you know, sometimes some players just can do no wrong. Absolutely remarkable. Crab set in on 149. So he still had to score another 50 odd runs after the cramps. And and funnily enough, I don't know if you heard, but apparently the physio said to him, mate, you got to stay because he was going to pull the pin on 149. And the physio said, mate, you've just got to, if you want to keep playing and you can keep playing, you've got to stay out there because if you retire hurt, even though the rule allows you to come back in at the end, your body's not going to let you come back in at the end. So you've got to stay out there yeah. as long as you can. And apparently Camo said, go off. And he said, oh, well, I'll give it a go. Thank God he did. Stand and deliver. My God. My God. Just, I think that's what's most impressive about it is that all of these other double centuries that you see you see the guys, you know, batting freely there, swinging from the hips. Whereas Maxi, it was just everything was arms and wrist. That was it. You know, there was no footwork. You would see him maybe shuffle a couple of inches, but for the most part, the feet were planted. He was seeing the ball and just hitting it. And that's, I think that's what makes it more impressive than any knock that I've ever seen. I just, I was just in disbelief afterwards and I couldn't, I was just so wired. It was just absolutely amazing. He scored 69 of the last 70. The second best knock of the innings was Pat Cummins's 12 off 68. The highest score after Maxi was 24 by Mitch Marr. It was the first double ton in the chase. Andy Zaltzman said that no one had scored more than 150 batting fifth or lower. It broke Kapildev's record of 175 not out against Zimbabwe in 1983. He's the first player in World Cup history to score multiple tons from the fifth spot or below, and he has three of them, and he was batting at six. I just, it is just, there's, I'm speechless, as you can hear. Just absolutely remarkable. I can't wait to watch it again. I really can't. I mean, you've rattled off, obviously, a bunch of those incredible stats about this. The, The couple of other ones that I had, it's the lowest ever team score for anyone with a double ton. So when you consider the fact that the target was only, what, 290-odd, roughly, the fact that he's been able to do that, score a double ton in that sort of score, the next lowest was 349. I think Shubman Gill had a 208 against New Zealand. So obviously, yeah, an incredible effort to make up that higher percentage of the runs in the entire team. There's only two players, Ishan Kishan and Amelia Kerr, that have a higher strike rate in a double century as well. The thing that got me, though, that was absolutely crazy, and you did mention, obviously, the Pat Cummins knock, and we'll talk about that in a second. If you look at that, so obviously Pat Cummins made 12 in that 202-run partnership. Maxwell scored 179 of them, the rest through extras. For anyone who's really good at maths here, and I know that's probably not you, Nath, uh, 88.61% of the runs in that partnership for Maxwell, that's the highest percentage in any 100-plus run partnership in the history of ODIs. Absolutely incredible. Oh, <laughs> just 
mind blowing. And look, the Aussies didn't bat as well as they should have. The Manus run out was he was ball watching that was pretty poor. The Stoinis shot selection was pretty poor. So we really did put ourselves against the eight ball a little bit. But I don't know. I always kept the faith. I know a lot of people turned off after the Stoinis dismissal. A lot of people also turned off after the Stark one where he didn't hit it, but he didn't review it either. And they just ran out of time to review. So he had to walk whether he liked it or not. And we'll be talking about timeouts for wickets in a sec shortly as well when we talk about some of the other teams. So I really felt that we really didn't set ourselves up well. And maybe we didn't respect the opposition. But on the flip side of that, you could tell that as the burden of expectation rose and, and as the kind of camera went to the, the crowd, clearly the Afghani fans thought they had it won when Stoinis got out, I reckon. But as the burden of expectation rose and as the Winviz predictor went up and up and up, and I think at one stage it was at 94%, you could see that the Afghanis got the yips. And although that Manus run out was a direct hit and was very good and they were okay in the field, they got worse and worse in the field as time wore on. Some of the bowling wasn't perfect. I don't know if you noticed, but he couldn't hit pull shots. They, they should have bowled more short stuff at him. They were giving him room outside off. They should have been bowling short stuff and attempting him to pull more often, I reckon. Yep, I agree. Well, I mean, once it got to the point where he was basically incapable of taking a single, unless it was the last ball of the over, and unless he had you know, pretty much the entire sort of distance between the pitch and the boundary for the ball to travel... Yeah, that, I agree entirely. There was too much stuff in the slot. There was too much these sort of slower balls, right? You know, right in that hitting zone. And yeah, a little bit more outside off stump. But I mean, obviously, that's when they start throwing in the wides. But yeah, I agree. There were no bounces, slower ball bounces. There were a couple of them that worked fairly well, and you, you could just see as it got to that point where it was I don't know around about sort of sixty off sixty, and you would sort of go right. Maxwell's going to bat out one over. And then Cummins will pretty much block out the next over. And it was just kind of going back and forward. And then I think there was one where the ball came back to, I think it was Rashid Khan and he didn't field it off his own bowling and they actually snuck the single and you could see Maxwell fist pump going, right. That's kind of, I've I've figured it out. I've kind of got the body to a spot where I can actually take these singles. And, you know, it just meant that he was able to rotate the strike a little bit more frequently and and face more deliveries. It was was a bit more complex than that, though, because you're right. They did have an end each for several overs, but that was the other thing that kept them guessing. So clearly the Afghanis had thought that, and look, Zamps came down the stairs a couple of times to see if he needed to go on. The medical staff came out. So there were a few stoppages. Clearly the Afghanis could see that he was getting in more and more strife. And it was a really hot day. He was coming off the concussion and the missed game and all that. So maybe his fitness was a bit down. You can see why he was experiencing the cramps. But that was the other kind of thing that was really interesting. He wasn't trying to sneak those singles all the time. And so it almost felt like the Afghanis, he took them by surprise because their thought process, you could see them thinking, okay, he'll probably never run again. So he did scrounge that one through, but he didn't always scrounge them through. Do you know what I mean? So there were still some times when he didn't take them. And so he really kept them guessing with those occasional singles. There weren't many of them near the end. And of course, we would have got home in a canter if we could have run twos and threes because they were hitting it all over the field. And this is why I kept the faith. And I remember in the chat, the, the penny dropped with you as well, because I remember you saying, well, it's actually only a runner ball. And that's why I was like, that's it. Like, we don't need to be silly here. A runner ball is really doable in today's day and age. And had it even got to, you know, 15 off the last over, it still might have been a chance. Now, it didn't get that far in the end. It didn't need to get that far. But just incredible. I encourage anyone to go and check out the highlights because it, it just has to be seen to be believed, doesn't it? it? It does. And, yeah, just quickly, obviously, Pat Cummins, you probably couldn't have picked a better person for the other end when you consider the fact that, you know, he's got quite a good forward defensive. There were a couple of times that he kind of dabbled outside off stump and was maybe a little bit unlucky for the Afghans not to maybe take a, a little tickle on the way through. But for the most part, he would yeah, be get nice forward defensive, block three or four balls in a row just to kind of get to the end of the over and get Maxwell back on strike. I think realistically, he played that almost as perfectly as you could have. And, it's probably the best 12 you'll ever see in an ODI. Well, that's why I said it was the second best knock of the innings, even though it wasn't the second highest score of the innings. It was definitely the second best knock of the innings. He sustained yep. a lot of pressure. You know, they they were bowling well, even though they did have the yips at times. They weren't, it wasn't all bad. 
and it was turning and they had four different spinners all with different styles and different variations. So, yeah, I mean, hats off to Afghanistan. Really sad for them to not win that one because they would have been a red-hot semi-finals chance had they. But obviously, as Aussie fans, we're very happy that it secured our place in the semis. Yeah, look, it's one of those ones. I think that probably is the nail in the coffin for Afghanistan now. I mean, they pretty much need to win their last game pretty convincingly and hope that New Zealand and Pakistan both lose, which, I mean, when you consider that what New Zealand are playing Sri Lanka as we speak and absolutely spanking them. So you'd, you'd probably say that one's done. Pakistan have England. So, you know, who knows what will happen there. But uh, look, yeah, it's it's an incredible run by them. They have quadrupled their previous total of wins. We spoke about it last week. They only had one win previously. They've got four. Cricket is well and truly on the way up in Afghanistan. And it's it's a really good news story out of a nation that, you know, realistically was struggling for a long time and probably still is, but they're just not in the media because they're not in the Gaza Strip or the, you know, the, the Israel side of things or, you know, the Ukraine-Russia war, which has kind of gone on the back. So I think Afghanistan, it's an amazing story. I love what they've done with their team and I hope they continue to get better. And obviously we were talking about Zimbabwe and the Windies missing out, but hey, both Afghanistan and the Netherlands have shown that they deserve to be there, haven't they? They have. And New Zealand at time of recording, so they're three for 130 chasing 171. So they almost just need... It's almost a run and over. <laughs> it's, it's 42, over, yeah. <laughs> 42 off 31.4. So you'd have to think New Zealand will get home there. So just a handful of games now. We've got Afghanistan and South Africa, which isn't you know going to be a walk in the park for South Africa necessarily. Then we've got the double header on Saturday, Australia and Bangladesh, England, Pakistan, as you mentioned, and then India, Netherlands. So look, in my opinion, we've probably got the four and it's probably the order it'll finish in too. India, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. But pretty good that it's kind of, it's it's got to be competitive until that second last match, isn't it? If Pakistan smash England, they could still make it. So to still be competitive right up to the second last match of the pool games, it's pretty good in the end when a few people were poo-pooing the beginning of the World Cup. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, as I said, just the fact that you look at the bottom of the table and the Netherlands have two wins. Sri Lanka have two wins. Bangladesh, England all have two. Like Usually there's one team that's sitting at the bottom that has maybe one win or no wins. Everyone has a couple of wins on there. And yeah, as you say, I think the, yeah, I think the top four teams are the right four teams, definitely. There's no two ways about it. As I've said a number of times, India are, I think, head and shoulders above anyone in that ladder. We know that South Africa are dangerous as well. But, yeah, I think what I love about it is the fact that, yeah, New Zealand and Pakistan uh, and Afghanistan to an extent as well, all three of them kind of had something to play for. If, you know, if Pakistan can come out and absolutely annihilate England, which, I mean, England don't have much to play for, but they still have something to play for. So you, you just never know. But They've got pride in the Champions Trophy qualification, as I mentioned last week. So they have they do have a bit to play for. Uh, did you see the Barmy Army tweeted? So obviously we beat them as well. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Thank God we did because that would have been a bit embarrassing after the jokes we made. But England's Barmy Army tweeted, not the World Cup any England fan wanted, but this team could never play a game again and still be one of the most successful of all time. Double world champions and we'll be back stronger. Mm. Okay. Yeah, double world yeah. champions. Bit of context there. Um, oh yeah, the record books say double world champions, but the way you won that one back in 2019. Hmm. Mm, yeah, look, we, we won't uh, we, we won't rehash that one. I mean, we everyone knows it was it was a bullshit decision at the end, but it is what it is. It is what it is. I, I forgot to mention with the Maxwell thing, Ian Smith's call was just fantastic. Like some of his comments, some of his adulation was just hilarious. It just made it all the better. I'm so glad he was commentating. Absolutely. Mate, let's move on to Angelo Matthews and the whole timed out incident versus yes. Bangladesh. This is, I'll tell you what, this is a really, it's a really interesting one. So what did you saw it live, I assume? I didn't see it live. I, I did see it that night though. And I've, I've read a little bit about it. I've heard a little bit about it. Apparently Crick, Crick Tracker reported that the umpires asked Shakib Al-Hassan to withdraw his appeal twice too. But I don't know. Do you have more context? I might let you explain it if you've if you've uh, got a bit more of the information there. 
Yeah, well, I mean, basically what's happened is that Angelo Matthews has come out to bat. He's taken, you know, a little bit of time, but there is that time period that they've got to be out and ready to face a ball. He's come out to the middle, and as he's got there, he's actually realized that the strap on his helmet was broken. He's called for a new helmet. He's not basically, you know, officially ready to face the delivery because he can't put his helmet on because it's got that that messed up strap. Bangladesh then appeal, and he's given out. And I believe it's the first time in an international match that there has been a timed out. So it's uh, it's absolutely incredible. And yeah, the fact that they've they've asked you know Shakib Al Hassan twice, do you want to withdraw the appeal? And he said no twice. Is uh, you know for all of the jokes we've made about spirit of cricket, like that's probably one of the worst I've ever seen. Yeah. So. I heard that apparently once Rahul Dravid got timed out and he took nearly seven minutes. I don't know if that was in a domestic match. Uh, look, it is different, in my opinion, to the Bairstow run out. It is different to a man cat, in my opinion, too. I think, well, oh, let's go to the tweet. So Angelo himself tweeted, fourth umpire is wrong here. Video evidence shows I still had five more seconds even after the helmet gave way can the fourth umpire rectify this please i mean safety is paramount as i just couldn't face the bowler without a helmet now some people have said there was one ball on the over left it was a spinner he should have just faced it and then requested the helmet other people have said where he went wrong was he didn't tell the umpires and had he told the umpires they might have gone okay you're here and you're ready but safety first let's get you a helmet and the fact that he didn't ask or tell so that was the crime. Some people think. I I think it's it's it was a really hollow victory for Bangladesh, and I'm sad that they did get the victory as a result. I don't know if you saw, but uh, Al Hassan will be missing the match against us on Saturday due to a dodgy finger. It must have been his appealing finger, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so and look, he was the one that had that tantrum not so long ago. So he has a bit of a track record for being maybe not the nicest guy in world cricket. Good player. Yeah, Very good player. But, yeah, so a couple of things there. So was he wrong? And then on the other thing, like, was this tweet, like, is this, could he get in trouble for this tweet? And should he get in trouble for this tweet? Oh, it's it's a tricky one. I mean, yeah, I, look, I think obviously the appeal for this is disgraceful. I don't think it's at all within the spirit of cricket. The tweet itself, uh, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I mean, say coming out and calling the umpires wrong is a very very dangerous area to be in. And look, he'll probably end up getting some form of a fine for it. But at the same time, the umpires were on his side in the fact that they asked him to withdraw the appeal twice. So th- there's every possibility that he may get away with it. But yeah, it's not a good look. If Jason Roy can still play in the final after his descent in histrionics in the semi in 2019, then, yeah, you can understand that if he got a slap on the wrist, then Angelo probably deserves a slap on the wrist because he's, I don't know, he's maybe right. I, I, it doesn't pass the sniff test this one really, does it? And I don't know, I kind of feel like the umpires, maybe they could have exercised some discretion. They are allowed to turn down an appeal. Do you know what I mean? Like, why do they have to ask for him to withdraw an appeal? Why can't they say, well, actually... We've deemed that he was ready, but the strap... You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel like they could have exercised discretion here and maybe avoided the whole thing. Now, Nath, I just have to quickly check. Did you say Raul Dravid earlier? I did, yeah. I remember seeing it on Twitter. I unfortunately forgot to take note of it, but I I was scrolling through Twitter one time. I feel like I can hear Woody screaming from the other side of Australia. Shout out to Woods because I know he loves his cricket. It was actually Saurav Ganguly that was involved with that. So that was that was back in 2007. That's a really interesting one. So he came in at two for six, took six minutes to reach the crease. Graham Smith chose not to enforce the rule, even though he could have. Oh, and you think okay. about it, three, okay. three for six, but the karma was there because South Africa went on to win the match. So I was going to say let's go from one Bangladeshi balls up to another, but looking at this Jeff Lemon article in The Guardian, it looks like it was actually an... Indian organization. So we go from the on-field stuff to some off-field stuff with the takedown of the Robolinda 2 YouTube channel. I don't know if you've seen or heard much about this, mate. Yeah, look, I've just actually read about it for the first time. I was aware that the channel had been sort of taken down, but I, I didn't realize, I guess, what had caused it. So apparently this group called Mahaba Sports India 
who have five followers on Twitter, six on Instagram, and a website that's allegedly been hacked, but prior to that didn't look much better, basically have, well, they've had his site taken down on the basis of some Bangladeshi videos, which is why I thought it was a, a Bangladeshi organization, because apparently it was from the Jason Gillespie double ton, and there weren't many Bangladeshi-related videos on there. But for those that didn't know, Rob Belinda 2's YouTube channel, and there was one called Rob Belinda before that, uh, was just such a wonderful just YouTube repository of just cricket culture and not just highlights. There was all sorts of, he'd done a lot of work himself. He wasn't monetizing it, so he wasn't even making any money off it. It was it was almost a gift to the world. And i got to say, when Warney died, I, I was watching his, his YouTube channel every night on a nightly basis for over a week. So there's a funny story as well from this uh, Guardian article by Jeff Lemon. Dean Jones contacted me literally two weeks before he died asking about his twin hundreds against Pakistan in 89. As soon as he emailed me, I'm like, mate, give me five minutes. I've got you. Quickest upload I've ever done. Now, basically the way it works is you can get three copyright strikes. And in another life, I used to be quite interested in copyright and have a little bit of a background in this. I'll read a quote from this Guardian article. Running an archive channel from tape television does involve risk, and Moody has tangled with plenty of copyright objections before. Even though organisations have done nothing with the footage, even though it helps the profile of the game, even though Moody never used his channel for profit, it has been a tightrope exercise. His channel, Robolinda 2, because the Robolinda got shut down years ago, but since then had worked out the balance. So basically the way it works is organizations can send a copyright strike for breaching of copyright, but really in good faith, first instance, you should be doing a cease and desist. So you should be contacting, and, and he was on The Grade Cricketer and I heard his interview and he's done a few interviews and whatnot around the, the traps. But he was basically saying, look, when people contacted me, I would take it down. No worries. And, and this is what's really disappointing about this, because they've used such a blunt instrument to basically destroy his entire channel. And a lot of other cricket organisations and media organisations around the world knew that he was technically breaching copyright. But because he wasn't making money off it, because it lifted the profile of the game, because a number of those things mentioned in that article I just quoted, they decided that it was better for the game to leave it up, which would have been a much better just an outcome for everyone. So it, it's just such a shame. So there's hope that it will be reinstated. There's hope that it's not all gone for good. The other thing, of course, is that he had personal videos on there. He had a bunch of things that weren't actually published and, and he doesn't even have access. He can't even log on anymore. And that's one of the really sad things about this too. So word of warning, people, if you're going to upload stuff to YouTube, maybe you have it backed up in other places because if they take down your channel, you're kind of fucked. Uh, so, yeah, really sad and and just I wish that they'd gone about it in a better way because he's taken down videos before and he would have done that to maintain the channel. As I say, so many fans around the world and so many people absolutely devastated about this. So, yeah, not good. Uh, whatever. I'm not even going to mention their name again. I've put my phone away. I can't remember what they're called, but screw them. Pissed off about that. But for those interested, there's a book called Copy Wrongs, actually, which is about people abusing copyright takedowns and that sort of thing. It's quite an interesting read. So a bit outside of sport there. But uh, yeah, sad, sad for cricket lovers. Amen. Now, chances are next time we record, unfortunately, it all will be said and done. It's pretty unlikely because we've both got work trips next week. So it's pretty unlikely we'll get anything released next week. We'll do our best. We'll see what we can do. So, look, I think this is probably the last time we can ask the question, who can win it all? And I know you've talked about it a little bit already, but who can win it all, Stewie? I, I haven't changed my mind. Uh, honestly, I, I think it is about 95% Indias and I reckon 5% everybody else. I mean, there's an outside chance that on their day, South Africa, I, I don't even know if Australia would qualify as someone who could win it all. I mean, look, at the end of the day, as you've said, it's a one-off elimination game. You just never know. One team could get really hot. So I guess you could say that any of the top four that, that qualify can win it all. But I think the reality is that no one's beating India. The one time that they've struggled with the bat, they destroyed England with the ball. So I, I just, I don't know. I can't see a world where a team that bowls so well on these surfaces, bats so well on these surfaces, and fields really well on them. I, I just can't see a world where they don't win it. I think... Most likely it'll be India over Australia in the final. It was interesting. You mentioned Woody before. He was talking about how the typical South African choking began to set in in their last match against India when they got absolutely spanked. 
I, I again single game elimination, like you mentioned, like I've mentioned pretty much every time we've talked about this. I do think all four teams can win it, but pretty unlikely. I, I think most likely Australia get past South Africa because they are chokers, but India probably win. But hey, anything can happen. I do think we could have a twist or turn yet to come. Oh, look, I wouldn't be surprised if South Africa beat us in the semis, but then choked big time in the final. That's, that's another option. I, yeah. yeah. That, that's where I feel like it'll go. I, I do think that South Africa are a superior team to Australia right now. But yeah, time will tell. I almost think the better question is who's our best 11? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. And, and certainly a lot has been said about the wicketkeeper situation. I mean, Alex Carey wasn't exactly in amazing form, but uh, it doesn't really look like Inglis is doing much more. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like that's one I'd actually really need to sit down and go through. But it's uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of guys that are aren't in amazing form. There's a lot of guys that are kind of patchy. Some guys have been up and down. I, I just yeah, I don't know. It's it's a tricky one. I mean, who who do you think? I think of the three all rounders, Mitch Marsh. Oh, I mean, Cam Green's basically said that he's not in the best team. So it might be Mitch mm. Marsh and Marcus Stoinis. I don't know. I don't think you can have both Smith and Marnus. I think it's really tough to work out which one of those two, though, because they've had a pretty similar tournament in many ways. Yeah. I tend to favour Smith personally, but you could probably make a case that Marnus maybe deserves a slight nod. I would stick with Inglis personally. The fact we've won six in a row and the fact that we've won in spite of a number of challenges like some injuries and the concussion and nearly losing against Afghanistan and the crazy win there. So I feel like our tournament's building quite nicely and, and we're kind of reaching an interesting crescendo. But yeah, I think I'd stick with Inglis because of his ability to score runs quicker and he's sticking with winning form. But yeah, and look, Stoinis so so hasn't convinced tonight. me. Nath, are you saying that you go with Inglis because he gets to five or four balls instead of off six? Well, look, he wasn't great against Afghanistan, but a lot of blokes weren't. And he's very, very good behind square. He's very creative and can play shots all around the ground, whereas Kerry's a little bit more traditional and not as good at T20. So I don't know. I think I, I would have Inglis in for, for his finishing skills. Not that necessarily they've been spectacular. No, well, hopefully he's building towards an Adam Gilchrist 2007 final sort of knock. Yeah, that'd be nice. He won't be opening, but yeah, we'd take that. No, true. <laughs> hopefully the lights stay on. That's it. Just a couple of other quick things in the world of cricket, Stewie. Meg Lanning retires as the most successful women's captain in ICC tournaments, having won two World Cups, five T20 World Cups, and a gold at the Commonwealth Games. Her 182 games as captain have her only behind Ricky Ponting's 323 and Alan Border's 271. Steve Waugh and Clarkie round out the table with 163 and 139 games respectively. And her 15 ODI tons are also the best amongst women with Susie Bates next best on 12 and no one else in double figures. So again, mentioned it at the top, but hats off again. A tremendous career and a really bloody good player. Yeah, look, it's a good time for her to be retiring. I know she's sort of struggled a little bit with her mental health in the last couple of years, and it's kind of put her in a place where maybe cricket isn't quite the priority anymore. She will absolutely retire as one of the all-time greats and one of the all-time best, not just cricketers, but also best people in cricket as well. Like Just a a really great person, really, really proud of everything she accomplished and, and obviously really happy that she can enjoy a little bit of peace and quiet now in her retirement. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear her in the commentary booth, actually, and I'd be all for that. Uh, one more thing. Congratulations to Diana Pakatapu Linden, I hope I said that correctly, for becoming the first woman to be chair of New Zealand cricket, and she's also deputy chair of their Olympic committee. So clearly a heavy hitter in uh, sport there in New Zealand. Absolutely. And also a quick shout-out to New South Wales. They finally won a bloody Sheffield oh, yes. match. Six hundred. <laughs> 625 days it took, and that's the end of February last year for anyone who's keeping count. So well done to them. They absolutely rolled West Australia over the last couple of days and a well-deserved victory. And a big result too, because WA have started bloody well in the Shield uh, season so far. So so that was a good victory for them. Mm. Bloody good finish to South Australia, Queensland too today, actually. there's been There's been some good Shield matches. Yeah, I wish I had a little bit more time to watch some of these. Honestly, they look incredible. Well, it's not enough hours in the day, is there? No. 
So in the NBA, Shuey, James Harden has suited up for the Clippers. He's not a system player. He's a system, apparently, as he said in his press conference. I must admit, I haven't had a chance to watch any yet. The stats look okay, but from what I've read, a lot of the people are saying the eye test wasn't so good. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about Harden in LA yet. Well, I mean, it's it's a really interesting one. And I think if we look at the NBA holistically right now, this is probably one of the most even leagues that I can relate like, in terms of the year. It's one of the most even years I can remember. There's obviously the, the clear-cut top teams like your Boston's, your Phillies and Denver. A few pretty clear-cut terrible teams, Detroit, Charlotte, Memphis. But there's no real easy games right now. I mean, Brooklyn, Orlando, Toronto, Houston, they're all 500 or above right now. And we're talking seven, eight games into the season. So the fact that the Clippers have lost both of their games with Harden, they lose to the Knicks, they lose to the Nets. Both of those are away games. We spoke about whether Harden would be okay with a smaller role last week, and he's taken nine shots in both games so far. You look at Ivisa Zubac has taken nine in one of them. Bones Highland took nine in the other. So he's certainly happy facilitating. I just think this will take a bit of time, and I think we, I'm usually the king of overreacting, but I think if we if we look at the fact that they made this trade early in the season rather than sort of doing it around the trade deadline, I think they've given themselves enough time to really, I guess, try and get that chemistry right before they get into a, a run down the stretch. And look, it is, it's going to take some time, but yeah, there are very, very few easy games in this league right now. So I, I think the fact that they've struggled early, uh, it's probably no real surprise. I haven't seen full games. I've seen highlights, which unfortunately don't show you everything you would need to know. But, but look, yeah, I just think it will take a little bit of time, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, I've seen highlights, but yeah, not kind of the, the uh, watching a game unfold or anything like that. You're absolutely right. Ben Simmons is looking better in Brooklyn. Camp Thomas has been pretty bloody good there too, hasn't he? Alperin Schengen became the quickest center to 500 assists. I saw his highlights package. I didn't realize he was that good a passer. Like, he is such a good player, and he played so well against us earlier in the season. I reckon he might be most improved player, actually, out there in Houston. They beat LA today. So, yeah, you're right. Even the kind of teams that might be labeled easy beats aren't necessarily easy beats. All right, a couple of things, Nate. So, firstly, Shaden Sharp's getting most improved player. I called that before the season, and he's more than doubled his scoring, rebounding, assists, blocks, and steals so far. Yes, he's playing a lot more minutes, but... Yeah, I forgot about him. But I, 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 I definitely just I love the way that he plays the game. And I, and I said in you know the, the episode I did with Robbie, we have to sort of assume that someone in Portland is going to put up the big numbers. And it certainly hasn't been Scoot Henderson so far. So I, I guess it's probably going to be a Shaden Sharp or some of these other guys. Yeah, no, that's just fair. Quickly go- I wanted to go back and ask you a quick question because obviously we've spoken a little bit about the Clippers and how you know they're, they're kind of struggling a little bit three and four on the season. Are you more worried with the Clippers or the, the Lakers right now? Oh, no, no. I, I'm more worried with the Clippers because of the chemistry. The Lakers will be fine. They'll be fine. Their, their bench depth is a little bit of an issue, but I have way more faith in them than the Clippers. Well, the, your, the tone of your question seems to suggest you're more worried about the Lakers. I am actually right now, yeah. I mean, like clockwork, Anthony Davis is injured. You've got Rui Hashimura and Gabe Vincent have both missed four of the eight games. Torian Prince has missed a couple. They got run out of the gym by Houston, as you mentioned. Orlando blew them out a couple of games ago. They've got a really soft schedule over the next seven games. So they play Portland twice, Memphis, Houston, and Utah. They really need to go at least five and two, if not six and one in those seven games. Like, it just... I know that it's a long season, but... And they started just, poorly last year too, of course. They did, but, you know, again, LeBron's another year old. Like, I just, I don't know. I just don't know how much longer he can keep doing this. Like, just keep propping up an entire organization the way that he's doing right now. And I just, I don't know. I, I worry that maybe the Lakers have seduced us again and maybe they're not as good as they looked on paper. And I, and I know, you know, games again, we always say they're not played on paper, but... I just thought this team looked a lot more complete, I guess, than last season. I thought Austin Reeves would be a big improver, but he hasn't been amazing. So, yeah, there's, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of worry in Tinseltown right now. There is a little bit of worry. I won't deny that, but I still, I, if, I, if I was a fan, I'd much rather be a Lakers fan than a Clippers fan. I do. I worry about the chemistry. When the shit hits the fan in Clipperville, when things don't go according to plan a little bit, I think it could be a bit, a bit frosty and a bit rocky there, but 
Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting. Well, while we're kind of, I might just wrap up that uh, Clippers talk with this Howard Beck article from The Ringer, which I love, apart from the overuse of redundant commas. And still Harden wasn't satisfied. If this were a children's book, Harden would be the very hungry caterpillar. Except instead of chewing holes through apples, plums and leaves, he chews through teammates, coaches and franchises. And instead of turning into a butterfly, he just devolves into an increasingly embittered caterpillar, unable to evolve at all. And on Saturday, he ate through three script clubs. <laughs> that's uh, that's one of my absolute favourite kids' books of all time. I put on the accent because the first time I ever saw that book, it was being read by someone with a British accent on a TV show on the ABC called Words and Pictures. I don't know if you remember that one. I don't. I just assume you're going to say play school. No, I don't remember. I, I know letters and numbers. I don't know words and pictures. There you go. One more thing. I saw NBA retweet, that's the name of them, tweeted, Danny Green agreed to drop his debut game bonus from half a million to 200K to help the 76ers build by lowering their tax only to be waived in the hardened trade. The NBA is a business. It really is, yeah. There's a few of those stories that come out every year when guys you know, hear about themselves being traded through social media rather than being spoken to by the team first. There's all sorts of that sort of stuff. And it does. It sucks when somebody like Danny Green, who's a great character guy, just does all the right things to try and make a franchise better, only to then be kicked to the curb. It's, uh, yeah, it's brutal. I'd love to see my Spurs re-sign him as a veteran presence. Just like yeah, if Paddy awesome. got waived, I'd love to see us re-sign him too. But I know he's at the Hawks and I'm happy to see him at the Hawks. Obviously, shout out to Woody and Robbie once again. Now, the in-season tournament, I didn't actually see any of the games. The courts were absolutely horrific. The red ones in particular, absolute eyesore, almost unwatchable. I don't, look, I don't give a fuck about the tournament. I'm not even going to predict. I, I just, I don't give a shit. Uh, apparently, that's just being negative based on what people are saying. I, I don't know if you have anything to add. I've I got nothing else. I, I will mention more once I've actually seen some and as it unfolds, but I don't have anything but I don't have anything at the moment apart from those horrible courts. Well, I will just expand on that a little bit. They're actually worse on TV than they were on the computer screen, which yes. I yes. didn't think would be possible, but they are in- incredibly off-putting, actually. They got to the point where they were off-putting, and it, it, honestly, like they're that much of an assault on your senses. You could almost taste them. They were that bad. <laughs> just Look, just a two-minute highlight clip on the Chicago Bulls court was enough for me to not want to watch anymore. And that was just a two-minute highlight clip. So, yep. yeah, it's going to be tough. And, look, I will I will watch a bit as it gets to the pointy end, and I'll watch the semis and the final and whatnot. But, oh, I just hope it's one of those teams that has a bit of an easier court to look at. Yeah. Do you know one thing that has been kind of good about it, though, is that if you look at it, and what, what we spoke about the previous week to that, where we were sort of talking about some of those City Edition jerseys, there's a few more of them that kind of, by comparison, feel a little bit more acceptable. Like um, the Minnesota Timberwolves one, I actually quite like that. I know a lot of people were a, a little bit against it, but I actually really liked that, that little fade in from the blue up into the white. I actually quite liked that when I saw them play with that. Um, Minnesota's done some good stuff with their jerseys. They brought back those, you know, the white and dark blue mid-1990s ones that they used to wear. You're always more on top of jerseys than me. I, I These things kind of skip my attention a little bit yeah they, they brought back the ones that sort of yeah you know, I know the ones the, the, when KG was first drafted that that sort of time yeah so I, I really like those jerseys I did like too yeah simple, yeah yeah color scheme's good it's a, it's a great throwback and they they brought back the old court as well so it had that you know the big timber wolf in the middle of it as well and the same color scheme it was, it was pretty cool so I think that's what I'd like to see more than these you know, stupid, futuristic, ridiculously red courts. I love the throwback stuff. You know, get as much of that mid-90s, mid-80s. You know, go back as far as you need to. I love that stuff. That, that's where it, where it should be. I did like the dunk, dunking astronaut on the Houston court. That was pretty cool. Ah, I didn't see that. I'll have to have a look. Now, standing item, Wemby Watch and Thunder Talk. I've only seen one Wemby game since we last recorded. That was the second win over the Suns. So they had back-to-back wins in Phoenix. This one was with Devin Booker back as well. Unfortunately, since then, there's been a couple of pretty tough games. So I started the game against the Raptors where they beat us by 30-odd. I'll finish that off tonight. Then they lost to the Knicks again today as well where the crowd was chanting at him by all accounts you were mentioning today on our chat. Yep, got the overrated chant, which... 
That's a it's a very New York chant, unfortunately. But uh, look, he still looks to be the most skilled rookie this season. There's a few times where when teams get physical with him, he kind of rushes the release on his shots around the basket. Teams are going to exploit that. They're going to play him a lot more physical. But I think the way that Wemby will have his success is the same way that Durant has his success. Make the catch 20 feet out, face up. He had a really nice jab step in that game against New York that basically caused the defender to, I think it was uh, Mitchell Robinson, drop back about, I don't know, a meter or so. And it freed him up for a, a wide open jump shot, which he nailed. So, you know, he's just got to be a little bit more composed, move a little bit slower. And look, he knows he's going to get bumped when he goes inside. He's just going to have to, I guess, work on that physicality and work with, I, I guess, whoever in the coaching staff deals with all of that sort of stuff. But it's a decent start for him. I mean, it's always going to be up and down. When Anytime you're talking about a rookie, they have these up games, they have down games. But we saw what he can do. That game you talked about against the Suns, the 38-10 and 10 game. Yeah, that's huge. Well, let's put it in perspective. He's ahead of schedule. He is ahead of schedule. Wemby joined LeBron and KD as the only teenagers in NBA history with 35-plus points, 10-plus boards, and two-plus blocks in a game. And by the way, it was, what, game five of his entire career? So yeah. so they, the, the Knicks fans can chat all they want. They're just jealous. They wish they had him instead. In the final four minutes, 15 of that second game against the Suns where he had the 38 that you mentioned, he had 10 points on four or four from the field and three or four from the line, while the Suns as a team went one for 10 and scored five points. His true shooting was 15 of 19 in the entire fourth. So he's, yeah, he's ahead of schedule, as I say. There's going to be growing pains. We always knew that. It's really interesting to see some of the Spurs fans. Unfortunately, I mean, look, fandom by nature is very irrational and obviously logic and common sense goes out the window. But it's funny how I, I think those two Phoenix wins maybe built the expectation a little bit high amongst some Spurs fans. And and so, I don't know, they're, they're already talking about, oh, wasted season without a pure point guard on the court and stuff. No, Pop's letting them grow. He's letting them learn. He's letting them make mistakes. It's going to be fine. Yeah, hard to argue with that. Do you have much fun to talk, mate? Obviously, there was that controversy against the Warriors with the offensive goaltend that wasn't by Draymond Green. Well, let's start with that. I mean, there's a few things to talk about, but I I did want to get your thoughts on the end of that game. I mean, obviously, exciting game, really high scoring. Anytime you're up in those sort of high 130s, low 140s, it, it's a fun game to watch. But what did you make of the finish? So I didn't see the game. I only saw the highlights and I saw the finish and I watched the goaltend on multiple occasions. It was no different to... I think actually a couple that Wemby's got done for this season so far on basically put back dunks. I've got a tweet here from Brian Geltzeiler. He says the rule states that it's offensive goaltending if the player touches the rim while the ball is in the cylinder and there's no discretion. So apparently the refs determined that the rim contact was inconsequential as the ball was going through the hoop anyway. But his take was my understanding. My understanding was... Basket interference is basket interference. It's immaterial whether it changed anything at all. So if that is the rule, then the ref screwed up there and they're selectively deciding to hand Golden State a victory, it feels like. I'd be pretty mm. pissed if I was a Thunder fan, actually. It's interesting because I think a couple of different things kind of crossed my mind. So firstly, the reason I didn't have as much of an issue with it as I probably should is the fact that it wasn't one of these shots where Steph Curry's kind of put it up and it's bounced on the ring and kind of hung there and then fallen in. It was going straight through. There was no ring about it, which kind of makes me feel a little bit more okay with it. The biggest issue that I had, which not many people are talking about, was that Draymond Green actually was the one that pushed uh, Josh Giddy's hand or arm into the net that kind of caused that basket interference that was called. And so that's the frustration I have is that there was, I don't know if it's hard because you don't really want to necessarily call it a foul, but it did look like there was enough contact to really force Giddy's hand into that net. But yeah, you're right. Like if that is the letter of the law, as soon as you touch the ring, that is basket interference, then it probably should have been called. It's obviously a shame that a game would be decided like that. And we obviously always talk about, we want the players to decide the game, not the officials. But at the time, yeah, it was a, a really, really tough one to swallow. And look, full credit to the Thunder playing against a full-strength Golden State team who, quite frankly, I have picked to make the Western Conference Finals. 
I think that's an incredible result and you know one that I'm very proud of. And the the other loss this week as well, losing to New Orleans by four, a one point game inside of two minutes. CJ McCollum was the difference. He obviously showed that veteran poise and he made all the right plays. But you know, for OKC to play New Orleans and Golden State really tough. And then back that up with a really good win against Atlanta and then a nice win against Cleveland today. It kind of seems like the Thunder are heading in the right direction. Incredible performances from a number of guys. I really love Jalen Williams. Uh, well, I like both of them, but the uh, the better of the two seems to be playing incredible ball right now. Isaiah Joe's really fun. There's there's just there's good stuff at you know kind of every position, and it, it's an exciting time. Five and three is kind of roughly where I expect us to be throughout the entire season. So it's uh yeah, it's exciting times for an OKC fan. Case and Wallace, of course, as well. Uh, and a lot of people were saying that was a steal and and so far so good there. It's interesting you mentioned on Golden State. So I have a quote here from Draymond when he talked to Danny Emmerman. Last year, we had an awful team as far as chemistry goes. Last year was horseshit. Hard to come to work, not fun. This year, you see joy on guys' face when they come into the building. This is a group that likes being together. Steph Curry is almost having a career year. So I think that's a decent tip, that one. Oh, absolutely. Just quickly going back to Case and Wallace as well. One of the things that's really impressed me is his, his shot-making ability. He's shooting basically a 70-57-100 clip at the moment. Yeah, I saw that on uh, StatMuse or whatever the other day. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so it was even higher the other day as well. That's the incredible thing. I mean, obviously, it's small sample size. It's only eight games. But, yeah, he's he's a very, very competent scorer. Just looks very, very comfortable no matter where he's shooting from. Loves that corner three. And he doesn't seem to take bad shots, which is what I really like. And and in a young team, it's very easy to get excited, throw up stuff that you really shouldn't be shooting. But I think he's a really disciplined guy, and I think he's a sneaky chance of maybe an all-rookie second team. Well, maybe even first team. And look, you know, eight games, tenth of a season. It's it's beginning to be a decent sample. So, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think there's probably enough guys ahead of him that he – I don't think he can. Yeah, quite I haven't really that thought that team. through. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> but, but look, second team definitely. I mean, he's averaging nearly nine, two and a half rebounds, one and a half assists a game, and as I said, shooting those incredible clips seems to be a pretty decent defender as well, which is what we drafted him for. And yeah, I think I think second team is probably quite fair at this stage. Did you see that someone found the Indian Anthony Davis though? I don't know if you saw that. Very nice. Yeah. Well, hey, if if the Indian team had an Anthony Davis, they might. Uh... They might do a little bit better on the world stage. Speaking of the world stage, NCAA basketball's tipped off. According to Clay Atkinson, 71 Aussies are in Division 1, which is third only behind USA, which obviously has the lion's share with 4,942, and Canada with 127. Nigeria and England, would you believe, round out the rest of the list with 39 and 34, respectively. I was very surprised when you sent that list through with England on there. That was yeah, yeah. It, it's it's interesting. I mean, there've been a lot of good English players that have come through. Not you know superstars necessarily. Lou Deng's probably the 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 main guy I can think of off the top of the head. But yeah, it's certainly that's a, a number bigger than I was expecting. There was that big centre for Orlando whose name escapes me. Amici, John Amici as Pat, well, of course. Pat, oh, John Amici. I always think Pat Burke, but he was Irish. Ah, there you go. I didn't know. There you go. Uh, quickly, Damian Lillard had 18 points in the fourth yesterday, the 39th instance in his career with 15 plus in the final term. It's tied for fifth most with Russ Westbrook, the top three, Kobe with 76, James with 74, Harden with 49 and Kyrie with 40. That's in the last 20 odd years. That's not all time. And then finally, Nikola Jokic passed LeBron for fourth most triple doubles in NBA history. And to put it in perspective, he did it in 813 less games. Yeah, it's hard to see a world where he doesn't go past Westbrook. Like, Westbrook's winding down. He's probably only got a handful left. And I think Jokic has got probably another seven years, maybe. I guess it just depends whether he can be bothered playing up until he's 35. But if he plays close to as long as Westbrook does, you'd think he'd go past him. So, Nath, just a little bit of NBL. Unfortunately, I think both of us kind of missed out on a few of the games over the weekend. Yeah. As a Wildcats fan, is it a case of back on track? Are we convinced yet? Two good wins, obviously. I say good wins, you know, a win over Adelaide, a win over Melbourne in Melbourne. Good to get the results, obviously, after a tumultuous previous sort of four weeks. What are your thoughts? So I watched the Adelaide game straight after the cricket on Saturday. So my memory is pretty uh, 
sketchy. I, I don't remember a lot apart from Bryce kicking ass. He played really well. The Melbourne game, geez, we, we were very lucky there. Now, I know Delhi had missed a shot earlier, but there was definitely a foul. He almost certainly would have hit the free throw on the end one to win by one, I think. And Scott Butler, the head of NBL referees, has said as much. With 1.8 seconds remaining, a pushing foul was called on Perth's Alexander Saar as Melbourne's Matthew Delavidova drove to the basket and made a layup. Perth coach John really challenged the call made on the floor. The coach's challenge rule states that only the called foul can be challenged. In this instance, it was correctly determined there was no pushing foul. We do acknowledge a mistake was made on the play. Saar should have been called for a hands foul, which would have resulted in Delavidova going to the foul line. To clarify, no calls cannot be changed or challenged via the coach's challenge. So basically, the Wildcats were very lucky there. And look, it was insult to injuries, plural, because Trav only played 51 seconds. Puck Porty got a headbutt to the knee from Trav and only managed about 10 minutes across the game. Very gimpy. And Ian Clark did his hammy again, too. So... I don't know. Can we can we be that excited? We would be happy, but can we be excited? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've basically put now. I, I wouldn't go quite as far as to say it's back on track. I mean, Adelaide, they've been better than expected this season, but they're still ultimately probably a, a bottom three side. And as you say, they lost three of the best players in the Melbourne United side in the first half. Yeah, you know, Ian Clark, it's a worry. I mean, that's the second hamstring he's done this season. He's 32 years old. Ugh, you don't want to be getting those once you're in your 30s. And obviously the result was they had to play Cole Bowen 32 minutes. JLA probably didn't want to have to play 34 minutes, but you know there were there were guys that probably didn't want to play those sorts of minutes and, and just kind of had to. Look, there's some signs. Obviously, as you say, Bryce Cotton really showed up against Adelaide. Didn't shoot amazingly in the second game, but got 14 free throws against Melbourne, which, uh, which was exciting. Love the move with Hiram Harris coming off the bench and now into the starting lineup. He's a really good energy guy, kind of like a more skilled version of Jared Bairstow. And I mean, we saw the good, the bad and the ugly of Jordan Usher, but he kind of saved us with that massive three against Melbourne. And I don't know about you, man. I freaking love what Christian Doolittle's doing. That 18, seven and five against United was absolutely massive. The other move, obviously the Corey Webster coming off the bench. I think that's, probably about the the right move and the right time. So there seemed to be the right sort of direction that we're heading in, but it's still, yeah, there's still a long way to go. Well, like I said last week, I thought Doolittle had moved ahead of Usher on the pecking order. Panathinaikos is reportedly interested in him. And it's really interesting. So Sam Vecini, who's kept a really close eye on the NBL, he was out here scouting and reporting and and doing some really good things to keep the, the profile up. He said, Jordan Usher, going from a guy NBA people thought could be worth an end of season two-way during the NBL Blitz to maybe the least valuable import of the NBL is pretty staggering. He's a better player than this. He can change this. But right now, it's tough on both ends. It was really funny in commentary, Gazy, after Usher took a shot, he was like, oh, well, uh, offense can be your best form of defense because, of course, he famously said he wanted to be defensive player of the year. He took a shot just about every fucking time he touched the ball in the first half. And the first time he passed the ball was a flat cross-court pass that got stolen. I still think his days might be numbered. He was definitely on the leash a little bit better in Adelaide and played within himself a little bit better. But some of that poor shot selection, some of that selfishness really did creep back in in that second game in the Melbourne game. So, look, I'm not convinced. I think he's still potentially on borrowed time. Not necessarily 100%, but I think potentially. And I still think a pure point guard who isn't looking for their own shot would be really good on this team. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, there was a little bit of chatter about potentially let him go and then use the the money to sign like a Patty Mills or someone like that. That would be bloody nice to get. But uh, yeah, look, I guess we will see. Time will tell. And, you know, if somebody else wants him, they can kind of have him. Oh, Patty, Patty will stay in the NBA this season at least. Yeah, course, but I reckon he'll, he'll be there for another couple of seasons probably. It's nice to dream bit. though. It's nice to dream. <laughs> Now, look, I don't have much else, and we time is quickly escaping us. But something I wanted to mention, and I've been thinking about this since round one, but I keep forgetting. The timeout's being sponsored by Snooze. It's a Snooze timeout. It's really funny. It's like, oh, do I want a timeout? No, I'll Snooze the timeout. I'll call it in another five minutes. I just find that to be a weird sponsor. <laughs> that, is a, that is a very interesting sponsor. I unfortunately tried to hit Snooze this morning and put my alarm off and then went back to sleep for 40 minutes that I didn't have. Oh, dear. So, there oh, you that's go. that's not good. Mate, a couple of other things really quickly. Daniel Johnson signed with the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix injury replacement for Gorjolk Gat, which I think is uh, a very canny pickup. DJ probably doesn't have a whole heap left in the tank, but 
If you look at the Phoenix, they're eighth in the league in bench scoring, second last in field goal percentage for the bench, second last in bench rebounding, dead last in bench assists. Basically, their bench does fuck all. He's a proven scorer. If he's not playing well, they can bench him, and it probably doesn't make a huge difference between now and and, and what's happened before. So I think that's a really canny pickup. Well, as we've said already this season, we thought there was probably at least another season for DJ somewhere. So not yeah. a surprise, yeah. And then just quickly to round it off, there is a lot of talk about Darwin now as this expansion team. We've spoken about, you know, Darwin, the Gold Coast, Canberra, Newcastle, but it seems like the league is very slowly trying to push Darwin as the big name. I have said it before and I'll say it again. I'm really worried that the population isn't quite big enough. We saw the issues around condensation at the Blitz last year. It just, I don't know, doesn't seem like the right option to me. What do you think? Oh, the, the infrastructure would have to be right as far as the courts and that are concerned. Yeah, I, look, there's probably places I would have ahead of Darwin. But I look, I think I think it could potentially be okay. Maybe not fantastic, but but okay. Well, I'll be up there in six days, so I will have a bit of a look and see what I can find. And I'll be in Singapore, so I can see if there's any good reason to bring the Slingers back. Love it. Stewie, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. We now know New Zealand have won five wickets, 160 balls remaining. Now, it might be another two weeks before we record again. We'll certainly pack our microphones just in case. We are both on work trips, so I don't know. It might not be realistic with, you know, the expectations of dinners at night and these sort of things. Look, we'll see how we go. I'm off to the top end. You're off to the Lion City. We'll, uh, we'll have a ball, I'm sure. And never you mind, we'll be back as soon as we can. Until then, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.